0: A Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about Turkey and the basket case it has become. And it was so stable for such it a was. long time, yeah. Keith. What is going
1: on? So uh, the most recent drama has been that President Trump has decided to punish Turkey with trade sanctions relating to aluminium and steel in the same way that's going after China. He shouldn't do this, but you cannot blame the current crisis on Trump. Trump has made a bad situation worse, but the roots of the crisis go back many years. And the worry that we've got is that there are are what are called the fragile five. So these are newly industrialised countries which in the last decade or so have grown very rapidly, particularly through the influx of foreign money from, say, European banks in the case of Turkey. So the the other members of the five are India, Brazil, South Africa and Indonesia, right? So they've all grown rapidly on a lot of borrowed foreign money and Turkey was one of those. Now, the immediate issue is the trade war to which I've referred and the fact that Turkey has arrested, back in 2016, Presbyterian pastor Andrew Brunson, an American, and they're holding on to him. And so they're the sparking points for Trump's behavior. Remember, Trump wants to keep in with the Christian right. And so Trump could say, I'm really defending these Christian pastors who are held by these nasty Muslims. That's the subtext. But you've really got to stand back and look at a broader situation that we've got. So one problem is Erdogan, who's this remarkable leader in Turkey. It's, it's a pity his career is going to end, I think, on a bit, under a bit of a cloud. But he's what's called a black Turk. In other words, he's a, a Turk from the poorer class outside of the secular establishment. So if you go back to the end of World War One, so the vast Ottoman Empire, one of the world's oldest and largest empires, got broken up. And you ended up with Britain and France, uh, Greece and others, all trying to steal bits of what was the Ottoman Empire. Then a a leader called Ataturk, Mustafa Kemal, but then later became Ataturk, father of the Turks, who had fought the Allies at Gallipoli, so he was already a military hero from that campaign. He then became the military ruler in Turkey and saw himself as a reformist, a Muslim reformist. So in other words, that... He wanted to have a secular, modern society. Very different from what you're seeing, say, today still in Saudi Arabia, etc. So he was going to create this benchmark which other countries could follow. Sure, you can be a Muslim, but this is how you can be modern as well. And so Ataturk invented this new country of Turkey, along with some of his colleagues, the Kemalists, as they were called. So Turkey then, although it's Islamic, was also very secular, and the military played a key role in maintaining stability. And if they thought that the politicians were doing a bad job, say in the 50s and 60s, they removed them. So you get Recep Tayyip Erdogan coming to power in 2003. So as I say, he comes from outside of the secular establishment. He is um, very much a devout Islamic believer, and he had devoted himself to Islam and social networking. So using his Islamic connections for networking purposes and he earned a good sporting reputation so he'd come up completely from outside not through the elite education that you get uh, in Turkey and he acquired a good reputation in Turkey for the way that he had been the the mayor of of the the city and so he was well liked became to power originally in 2003 so he's alternated in titles but essentially it's 2000 and three. So he's the mayor of Istanbul uh, from 1994 through until 2003 when he becomes this um, uh, leader of government overall. And he created a conservative party called the Justice and Development Party called the AKP. And so he was seen, particularly after 9-11, that's 2001, people like George Bush said, well, look, that's a Muslim that we can do deals with. And so he got this big tick of respectability from the Americans, money poured in to Turkey. And that's a time when I was served on the Parliament of Cultures in Turkey. So I was there every year. And I was very impressed with the way in which the country was moving.
0: He was quite saying he was quite progressive, wasn't he? He was quite
1: well? progressive. For a Muslim, right? It, you know, he's still got to keep, keep an eye on his power base. But, you know, he was playing by the rules. And at that time in the Parliament of Cultures, we were lobbying for Turkey to join the European Union. So that was that would sort of cement it into that western european framework. Things have now started to go wrong. So one obviously is the problem of economic development, that the economy has grown too rapidly, essentially it's overheating. And and so There's worry now that the Turkish economy, a lot of the money that came in, instead of going for long-term infrastructure projects, went to building homes and other speculative ventures. So that's certainly one of the problems. Also, you had some leaders in the European Union who said, we don't want Turkey to come in. Turkey has a population of 80 million people. That's the population of Germany. And so suddenly 80 million predominantly Islamic people moving into the European Union would change the balance and so you ended up then with anti-Turkish opinion from some of the European leaders. And you had Turkey who sort of said, well, look, we really don't want to go into the European Union, thank you. We've changed our mind. So a lot of that money which they had got in from European banks then now has a bit of a question mark over how is it, how is it going to be repaid. That's one problem. So that's the, the whole of the economic stuff which is there. But a second problem is the policy in Syria. Remember, Syria is just over the border. You look at the world differently when you know Syria is down. That's what, I was there at the time of the Iraq War. You look at the world differently when you've got Iraq and Syria right over the border. You know, you can make all sorts of grand statements if you're sitting in Canberra, but when you know the war is going on over the border, and in the case of Syria, which used to be occupied by the Turks as part of the Ottoman Empire, they have as a primary concern the control of the Kurds. So the Kurds are the largest indigenous population, 30 million people, without their own homeland. After World War I, they were promised their own homeland. But then countries like Turkey said, no, you're not going to get it. So actually, we know where, Kur, where the Kurdish territory is, but it's all under foreign control. So you've got eastern Turkey, northern Iraq, northern Syria. Uh, Northern Iran as well. They've all got Kurds. And so Turkey's policy in Syria is to make sure the Kurds don't do well in Syria for fear that it'll be an encouragement to the Kurds in eastern Turkey to rebel. So we end up then with Turkey involved in the civil war, um, having a very clear policy, namely to keep the Kurds down. Now, the Americans are supporting the Kurds. And this is an arrangement that goes back to George Bush Sr. at the time of that first Gulf War in 1991, it was the Kurds who rebelled against Saddam Hussein, and they were being armed partly by the Americans. So there's a long relationship, friendly relationship between the United States and the Kurds in Iraq, and you have a hostile relationship between the Kurds in Iraq and Syria with vis-a-vis Turkey. So that, that's been a bit of a flashpoint. And the Americans have found themselves, because they've been so confused, this began under Obama. Again, you can't blame Trump. Obama did not know what he wanted to do in Syria, if anything, and did his best to try to keep out of it. But CIA were arming uh, rebel groups against the Assad regime, and some of them would have been linked to al-Qaeda or the Islamic State. So CIA were actually arming allies of these terrorist groups, really messy. Yeah, big old mess. Absolutely.
0: So then, okay. So I don't understand though. When did they? You say they had all this money from the Eastern European banks,
1: Western European, Western, Western European, European banks, banks. Yeah.
0: And then they suddenly decided not to join the European Union, so they um, that there was question marks over the money.
1: Yeah.
0: Why would there suddenly be question marks over the money? Like, wouldn't they just pay that back normally, like they'd pay back any sort of?
1: Because they've just borrowed so heavily, and the money has gone into real estate and consumer goods when it really ought to be in income-producing infrastructure, roads and bridges, et cetera, uh-huh. railways.
0: And so while they're going to be part of the European Union, that wasn't really questioned that, Yeah, then. So
1: that's why people are saying this is a new Greek crisis. The only difference is that Greek has a population about 10% that of Turkey. We are talking about a major country here. So there are real implications for the European banking system. So isn't there, if you say their economy is doing really well? what well, had been doing But now it's not. Now there are real issues with inflation.
0: Okay, so what's Erdogan doing now, the president?
1: Well, well, Erdogan is presiding over about 100% rate of inflation, which means that the cost of living doubles each year, right? Um, He is reluctant to introduce the obvious thing, which is to increase interest rates. It would make him very unpopular, but it it would... Sort of dampen down that inflation. That's your standard economic model. Some people I've heard have said, "Well, Erdogan, being a strict Muslim, does not approve of interest rates. So uh, it's called usury, and there is a ban on usury in the Old Testament. What it, you cannot, you cannot charge a rate of interest." So the Christians have long since forgotten that provision in the Bible. So have the Jews, um, but the Muslims still hold on to it. So strictly, Islamic banking is a different, this Is probably the subject for a separate talk, but Islamic banking is different from the banking that you and I know here in Australia.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, how they make any money?
1: Well, because you go in as a partner. Gotcha. You go in as a partner, and if the project blossoms, you get money. If you don't, you lose it.
0: You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking today about Turkey because for a big country of 80 million, it used to be a huge, huge economic beacon in the Middle East slash Europe and was at one point going to be part of the European Union. Hmm always looking fresh, as very progressive as a country, Muslim country. Not so much anymore. It's sort of a basket case, isn't it, Keith?
1: <laughs> That's right. So uh, what I've been looking at is um, how the crisis might evolve. And I think there are basically four ways. One is that it could actually trigger another global financial crisis. That's the worry that we've got. That's why, you know, Trump has been criticised for his behaviour over Turkey As I say, Trump is not responsible for this crisis, but he has made a bad situation worse.
0: Yeah, but why would he put tariffs on a country that's struggling already? I
1: know. So the global banking system is still weak, mainly because the banks have resisted fundamental reforms. So we've got a fragile banking system and the governments have run out of financial ammunition. So if we have a rerun of the 2008 global financial crisis, this time based now in Turkey, who knows where it's going to be, particularly for the European banking system. But we do know from 2008 that a handful of mortgage holders in the United States, what we call the Sun Prime, triggered this tidal wave within the banking system because of the interconnectedness of the banking. So one is that we we may well have another global financial crisis. The second one is that Erdogan will back down he will let Pastor Andrew Brunson go. In other words, he'll be able to go back to the United States. He will also accept aid from the International Monetary Fund. So IMF, based in Washington, is designed to help countries that have short-term financial problems. The World Bank, by contrast, deals with long-term projects like dams and education, etc. But IMF is designed to deal with this type of crisis. But when they move in... They introduce austerity measures, <laughs> as the Greeks will tell you, right? Because they've been subject to it by the European Bank, right?
0: Well, I was about to say in Turkey, you get those measures as opposed to just putting an interest rate up.
1: That's right. This will be really severe. Cut back on government expenditure, cut back in pensions, all sorts of things to bring the economy back into balance. And that will then end up with Erdogan being punished at the next election because he'll be held responsible for this suffering. The third issue uh, to follow is that Turkey could withdraw from NATO. Remember, Putin is improving his relations with Turkey. Turkey is one of the major countries within NATO. So it has the second largest army within NATO. Number one, obviously, is the United States. So Turkey is a major player. But because of the poor relations at the moment between Turkey and the United States and the way that they feel isolated by the Germans and the French because they can't get in the European Union, who are obviously NATO allies, Putin has seen a wind of opportunity. Putin is supplying military equipment to Turkey. This is his opportunity to get involved. Of
0: course he is.
1: <laughs> Opportunist. Opportunist, yeah. He knows how to play the game. And so it may well be that Putin and Erdogan would challenge the US's primary role in international affairs in that part of the of Europe, the eastern part of Europe. So, in other words, it's a power play by Putin who could see, well, look, there's a danger for Turkey. I can help Turkey. And then finally, somehow Erdogan is removed. Remember, traditionally, the military have done that in the past. Now, the feedback I'm getting is Erdogan has removed a lot of his potential competitors within the military. The military will not be able to organise the same sort of coup as they've done in the past. The military see themselves as a direct successor to Ataturk. So remember Ataturk, the father of the country, the father of, of the Turks, Ataturk, he saw the military as in providing the backbone for maintaining the modern tendencies within Turkey. So the military had this special status within Turkey. And so from time to time they've had to intervene to get rid of difficult governments and bring... Turkey back onto the path, which was laid down in the 1920s by Ataturk. So whether the military now had the capacity to remove Erdogan, I just don't know. That is certainly an option worth bearing in mind. So there are four ways, but for me, the bottom line is that whatever happens is going to be a very rough ride for the people living in Turkey today.
0: I was about to say, and Qatar played a role in this as well, didn't they?
1: Yeah, so Qatar, remember, has got its own struggle with Saudi Arabia, and so... Turkey has said, well, we will do, we will supply troops to Qatar to protect you against Saudi aggression. And Qatar said, well, we'll supply you with money. So Qatar, of course, is oil rich, et cetera. So you've actually got the power play that's going on between Saudi Arabia, which is another story in itself, the role of Saudi Arabia in today's politics, with Qatar. So Saudi Arabia and their ally, Arab colleagues are ganging up on Qatar. Turkey has seen a, a way of improving relations because... Turkey and Qatar are both on the, on the bit of an outer. Qatar will supply money. Turkey will supply the troops.
0: Wow. And so let's uh, take this, bring this, an Australian perspective in here. So it, Turkey is a country that Australians in vast numbers visit.
1: It's a beautiful, I love Turkey. So, in a, you know, you've got problems with the leaders, but it's the history is marvellous, the archaeological sites. And, of course, um, tourism is a major source of revenue. Mm. in a good year for Turkey. This is now being jeopardised by all this political uncertainty.
0: But it's still very safe. You don't think it's going to be, um, I don't know, negatively affected for us Australians? Do you think... Well, you'll
1: end up, no doubt, with the Australian government issuing travel warnings. And that, of course, has to go to every travel agent and every potential tourist who thinks whether or not they want to go there. And that'll be an absolute tragedy. It is a beautiful country. I encourage people to go to Turkey. But at the same time, you have to follow the travel advisories from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And so we're heading into a period where it's going to be rather difficult for Turkey.
0: And Gallipoli's there as well.
1: Gallipoli is there as well. So we have this big, every year we have this big celebration. And let me just, to end on a nice positive note, I was in uh, Ankara on one occasion with the minister who created that dawn service. So he's English, and he created the dawn service at at Gallipoli years ago, actually on Gallipoli itself. It's now become a vast industry. It runs over three days. The Canadians want to be there. The French are there. It's a vast industry. And the Australians who go there, he told me, the Australians who go there are wonderfully well-behaved. So although they have a reputation for drinking and misbehaving themselves at Gallipoli, they are great ambassadors for Australia.
0: There you go. Well, that is a nice way to end. This has been Global Truth with Dr Keith Souter. Recorded in the studios of Podcast One, producer is me, Kate Mack, production assistance by Liv Proud, audio production by Darcy Thompson, and for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.